0: Are you listening? Kiiteimasuka? Ascolti? Titko ga shimasu ka? Stai ascoltando?
1: Vy slushayete?
2: Atem makshivim?
0: Estás escuchando? Hören Sie zu?
2: Da Tame
0: Ta mesam rosho?
3: The Global Voices Podcast.
0: The world is talking.
4: Are you listening? Hello world, and welcome to another edition of the Global Voices podcast. In this edition, you'll hear more about how women in Egypt are using technology to fight harassment, what our Global Voices authors and editors got up to at the London Mozilla Festival, and how AIDS and HIV are thought about, written about, and lived with for World AIDS Day. So let's jump in. That's the sound of my footsteps on the pavement in London. I recorded that in the evening on the street where I live. It feels safe to me, but there are some places in almost every city where women do not feel safe, whether it is day or night. The sad fact of the matter is that women all over the world consider their route, the time, and where they might go, depending upon the action of others, and whether or not they might feel they may be harassed or even attacked. Engi Goslan is a young woman that took the matter into her own hands to stop the social acceptability of sexual harassment by using mapping technology and the voices of women who speak up about what happens to them on the street. Maria Grabowski Kier interviewed Engi in Cairo about her work to support women and help them feel more comfortable.
0: I started working in sexual harassment in 2006 when I was a volunteer in the Egyptian Centre for Women's Rights. I volunteered there to work specifically for this campaign because it was one of the things that I was hating about life in Cairo. I mean, I was born and raised here, but going out to the city more when I started studying and then working, you know, was a bit hard. When I had to face every day a new kind of harassment. So, I thought that I just Wouldn't want to continue becoming a victim and I want to do something positive about it So I volunteered when I knew that ACWR had had a campaign on sexual harassment I volunteered in 2006, and I started working with them 2007, and until I left in 2008. Then I was still interested in doing something sexual harassment related. And when Rebecca, my colleague and co-founder of Harassmap, suggested that we start working with that, and I was like, of course, I, I love social media. So you know, sexual harassment is the main cause for me, so I would definitely like to continue. She has gotten into a lot of conversations with volunteers and people who are interested in social media, and they put her in touch with the Yushahid people and the idea came up. Ushahidi was starting up, it was becoming popular and we thought that since we're interested in an issue like sexual harassment to relate them both together. We needed to create a system where women can share, can let us know what happens and where it happens. And all these ideas developed when we thought let's use Ushahidi as where to map sexual harassment in Egypt. Given that People know that sexual harassment happens everywhere in Egypt, so it's not that we're coming up with, you know, wow, we discovered where it happens. We know where it happens, and we know it happens every day, but we needed an evidence from people, from women themselves, to tell us what they face on a daily basis, and to tell us the stories in all honesty and also anonymity. We wanted to have user-generated information that could be useful for us, NGOs who are working on the issue, if they are working on any advocacy, you know, activities, any law, legal changes they need information to depend on. So geographical information and and information about the categories of what actually happens, what kind of sexual harassment the girls face on the street. All kinds of features, all kinds of information that can be useful to policymakers, can be useful to lobbyists, to NGOs who are working on advocacy and, and legal changes. And for us, we are concerned basically with awareness and raising awareness with the topic and talking about it. It's not only about the reporting and getting the reports, but there's also some community activity that we try to do at the same time. We have self defense videos that we're working on, so they're just tutoring videos that can tell girls what to do. We have a page on our blog that's called What Works, like what you could do in case you got sexually harassed. So we try to take it out of the online to the offline so both can, you know, feed into each other. If there is no social acceptability, but there is social denial about the problem and people do not really want to face it. So what we're trying to do is to bring it on the agenda all the time so it's a constantly discussed topic. It's not a topic that is seasonal, that we discuss it in summer and forget it in winter. We face it on daily basis, so it should always be discussed on daily basis. It should not stop. So that's what we're trying to do. Like We're online, we try to write it everywhere, we try to respond to every media interview, we try to speak about it everywhere just to spend more knowledge and awareness to people. Women report. We're the admins. We approve the reports with the mappers, basically, where we make sure that the report is correct and the neighborhood is mentioned and all that information. That she chose categories of harassment that reflects what she just wrote exactly. Like if she said someone walked behind me for, I don't know... 15 minutes and then try to touch me so this is talking and touching so we need to put those categories if she didn't choose them we choose them stuff like that okay we get a lot of reports with like names and addresses and pictures and I don't know what and that's dangerous because we don't know whether people are doing this because they're pissed off each other if she like he broke up with her so she wants to report him on you know like we don't really know so we are kind of cautious when it comes to these things and what to put and what not to put we have globalization, which is taking harassment outside of Egypt because we got a lot of offers from different countries to have the same thing implemented in Lebanon, in Brazil, in US and Canada, in India and in Pakistan, Jordan, a lot of places. My grandmother, 40 years ago, did not experience what I experience today because she used to walk in down the street with full freedom and no one would tell her anything and do anything. She wouldn't even dress as conservatively as I do. She would dress like sleeveless short skirts and she would go out and no one would do anything. You know, no one would put on the veil, nothing. My grandma would walk downtown with sleeveless dresses, beautiful high heels and like all hair done and stuff. No one would look at her like now, you know, like almost 60 or 50 years afterwards, I cannot even walk. Dressed in full, you know, sleeves and and having a safe environment around me. So there has been a lot of social problems and social changes and economical changes that has affected the perception of women in public spheres and of the perception of women roles as well. I get harassed so much and I'm so done. over Like at the end of the day, I am also another girl in the country who faces the same thing that everyone faces. It has also been helpful to me because if I really get harassed and there's no nothing could do, I just text. the map or I go back and put the reports on and then I keep tweeting all the reports that people have reported about how horrible it is so people can see it it's really really self-fulfilling to see the issue coming up you know and discussed regularly people realizing how horrible it is another part of it was very nice seeing a lot of men supporting us and a lot of boys coming in and saying that it's horrible and they don't want to see it happening here or they used to do it and now they're not doing it anymore or they grew up thinking it's cool to do it but now they realize how you know degrading it is and there's no girl who deserves this it is so good it's so enriching to see like guys and men who are very simple and sometimes very conservative but they still think you know that every woman in Egypt deserves dignity and respect no matter how she dresses so these things are a breath of fresh air that you know you need every now and then after you see in the street. so almost half of our volunteers are guys, and that, that's really, really great, yeah. They do not want to see you know their sisters or their girlfriends or their wives or their mothers facing the same thing, and they feel responsible, and that's what we're trying also to enforce, for every person to feel responsible, to feel that this problem is not going to be solved unless every one of us is responsible and reacts, you know, no problem anywhere in the world has been solved unless everyone in the community felt responsible to contribute something.
4: Do you know about Global Voices Lingua? Project Lingua amplifies Global Voices stories in languages other than English with the help of volunteer translators. It opens the line of communication with non-English speaking bloggers and readers of Global Voices by translating content into other languages. Find out more at Global online slash lingua. December 1st is World AIDS Day a time to think about how many people are living with HIV or AIDS and consider what can be done to support them as well as carers, campaigners and the networks that help people get by. To find out a little more about World AIDS Day, I had a chat with two people who are working hard to improve conditions and raise awareness. I asked them about the state of care and what World AIDS Day means to them. Ahmed Awadalla is in Egypt. He works for an NGO focusing on organizing sexual education for youth.
1: Since the beginning of the early AIDS Day when people didn't really understand what it is, I think this day is always a commemoration of this tragedy of uh, AIDS coming into our world and all the efforts that have been made to fight AIDS and all the people that we lost because of this. I think it's always important to remind ourselves of the early days and the early struggles and the lives that are being lost uh, up until day. It's very uh, challenging to work on these areas here in Egypt because of the nature of the society and it's a bit hard to uh, open up topics that are related to sexuality and sexual behavior. Because it is challenging, that's what made me interested in uh, working in this area because we are trying to uh, provide information and to uh, engage people in discussion around these issues. And this information is very necessary, very important to people's lives. Unfortunately, the situation is quite bad. The main challenge or the main hardship for people living with HIV here is uh, of course stigma. And uh, stigma is worldwide phenomenon. It's not uh, only here in Egypt, but somehow it's a heavy burden here for people living with HIV because people who are living with this find it very hard to disclose their status to even the closest family members or friends. And people lose their jobs if they disclose their status. And one of the biggest issues is denial of uh, medical services from many of the healthcare providers who are supposed to know what it is about and how to control the infection. Again, because of their beliefs and because of the misconceptions or the judgmental values, they also stigmatize against people living with HIV. in terms of healthcare, in terms of work, in terms of very uh, different areas, people living with HIV find stigmatization and discrimination against them. According to the latest statistics, there are around 11,000 cases that are documented, but the real numbers cannot really be estimated because of, again, the stigma and discrimination. And also because of the lack of information and awareness, a lot of people may engage in any behavior or be exposed to the virus, but without really knowing that they have it and they will continue living their lives without really knowing. When we knew the situation from a few years back um, has definitely improved a lot of organizations and a lot of um, activists have been speaking out and trying to spread the word. There are now support groups for people with HIV, where they can meet similar people who suffer from the condition and talk to them. The Ministry of Health now is providing treatment for people with HIV. There have been a lot of efforts to uh, raise awareness, to engage the media so they can put forward uh, positive messages about HIV. Even recently, a man, one of the people living with HIV, decided to come out in front of TV cameras for the first time in Egypt and to speak out that he's living with HIV and uh, to give a message to all the people who suffer from the same thing, and to say that we can't speak up, we should break the silence. And like this state of uprising, of course, had affected the um, government performance in general, and uh, this transition period is, of course, a difficult time for Egypt. So the performance of different services and different uh, programs that have been like, engaging people in that sense, were uh, somehow uh, slowed down or halted. So uh, I know that some of the outreach programs to uh, people uh, at risk of HIV infection have stopped during the last few months. I would love to see, when I mean, there in Egypt, everybody has access to information. Everybody knows everything about HIV because there's a lot of gaps in, in information. And also services in terms of um, testing, counseling, um, care for people living with HIV. And I would love to see people living with HIV, not afraid, because that's what I hear them saying to me, that, we live in fear. We live in, uh, in a very hard conditions because of this, because we're afraid of the society and the people around us when they know how they're going to treat us, how they're going to deal with this. So I really wish to see them when they don't feel like this anymore, when there is nothing to be afraid about, and nothing to be ashamed about.
4: Leia Okeo lives in Kenya and she works with women in her community focusing on HIV issues and the eradication of poverty.
2: For me, I just realized that on World Aid Days I'm never as active as I should be. I'm active in my mind but not physically out. I do a lot of planning for World AIDS Day for the community and even this time I sit in the committee that organizes the World Aid Day in Nigori. For me, it's a big day. It's an important day because I personally relate with the day living with HIV. And, of course, even for other people, this is a big day for solidarity in whichever way. If it just means feeling with people living with HIV, feeling with people infected and affected, sensitizing people on HIV and AIDS, getting people to go for voluntary counseling and testing. So, for me, it's a big day. I do a lot of work on this topic because I've realized that we are still a long way to go. We are moving at a very slow pace. What has been done is a lot, but not what has not been done, I would say is much more. and my estimates in terms of thinking of what has been done, I would say. It's like forty percent given right from sensitization, coming to medications and treatment, coming to information and even coming to policy making. There's still a lot to be done, so there's no way we can work halfway and then sit back without having the rest completed. It's quite challenging because one stigma still reigns. At the top, you find that stigma is not only for the less educated or the less able in society, but it's with everybody. People who have good things at their fingertips, like the best information, the best knowledge on HIV, the best treatment to take, the best way to go about yourself and take care and live healthy and everything. We have a lot of such people living with HIV that they would not share this because yeah, it's kind of a shame to live with HIV and uh, so sharing it would put you low in society and it's like you'd be the center of speculation and so yeah, it's a bit tough to live with HIV. I would not say that it's all bad because we are able to reach to get medication to at some level which I would say is quite an improvement. It's quite tough for the people, given that, like where I live, majority of the people live far below the poverty line. So it's very hard to get proper treatment because treatment and medication is not all about drugs, but it's about other issues. It's about living a stress-free life. It's about having a proper diet. It's about having other medicines apart from ARVs, and this is quite unaffordable for majority of people living with HIV. If I could compare Kenya to other countries, like I've visited Canada, I've visited the UK, Mexico, and other few places, I realize that here there are many people you can see, see you know. Okay, no, as a counselor, I should not say that really I can look at you and see you are HIV positive. But for people who have already been interested and are positive, you can see they are frail, many are sick for quite a long time, which means there is lack of upper management to take care of such people. So for me, a good future would be a future where people living with HIV are given extra care. It's care beyond ARVs. It's care that involves rights. It's care that involves access needs that are mandatory, access to needs that are compulsory, that would be, I feel, the best.
4: Don't forget if you're part of the community blogging positively for World AIDS Day to highlight your work so we can all share it. If you distribute your material over Twitter or elsewhere, don't forget the hashtags WAD11 and World AIDS Day to make sure that everyone can find you.
1: Do you know about Global Voices Advocacy? With Global Voices Advocacy, we seek to build a global anti-censorship network of bloggers and online activists throughout the developing world, dedicated to protecting freedom of expression and free access to information online. Find out more at globalvoicesonline.org.
4: In November, London saw the Mozilla Festival take place. Global Voices had a team there representing the site and all its innovation as part of the science fair. Naturally, with so much Global Voices goodness in one place, I had to ask them what they were up to.
5: My name is Emma Bruin. I'm the deputy editor for Global Voices, and I've been with the organisation since February 2011. So what inspired you to work with Global Voices? To be honest, when I applied for the job, the community and the organisation was quite new to me. When I found out about the opportunity to be deputy editor and and discovered what it is the organisation does, I was just overwhelmed with all the work that goes on and a lot of it on a voluntary basis. And I just thought, yeah, this is something I really want to be part of. I really believe in um, promoting uh, citizen journalism and also promoting non-mainstream voices. How does your day run then? What is it to be a Global Voices Editor? Okay, well, my office is basically my living room. (laughs) I work completely online. My main point of contact is Solana, who's the main editor for Global Voices English and all the other sites. I'm mainly involved with checking the content for the English website, so ensuring that it meets our quality standards in terms of content and also formatting. And I also uh, take charge of various social media streams, for example our Twitter, our Facebook and our Tumblr. And, um, ensure that all the content we produced is promoted as much as possible. So what are some of the highlights of areas of Global Voices that you've been working on that really stand out for you since you've been there? It's really hard to pick one because everything's a highlight to me. I just, I love hearing from people in the most far-flung corners of the globe or, you know, in countries that are really experiencing difficult times or, you know, people writing maybe with poor internet connections under oppression or under a lack of internet or media freedom and just for them to be willing to put their efforts into voluntarily producing content to share their experiences and issues to me is really inspiring and when you're sat in a comfy living room in Cambridgeshire in England with perfect internet connection you know it makes you realise that they're really doing the best they can in quite adverse situations trying to get their message across
4: and so has it changed your point of view
5: about what journalism can be? Yeah, it's, uh, working with Global Voices has really made me see the value in individual perspectives, non-mainstream perspectives. It's made me view social media in a whole new light, see it as a real tool for information and for change.
4: The trouble with meeting Global Voices contributors and staff is that they're all very talented. To the point where this reporter did such a good job, I had to wonder if she might start to take over our programme.
6: Hello, I'm Amira, I'm 10 years old and I'm from London. Here with me today is Salam Adil. Tell me a bit about yourself.
3: Hello, I'm Salam Adil. I'm the Iraq contributor for Global Voices. And I've been involved with Global Voices for about five years now reporting on what Iraqi bloggers are saying and their blogs on Twitter and on Facebook.
6: What made you come to the Mozilla Festival?
3: Well Mozilla is all about openness and access to the web and this is what blogging is all about, being able to get onto the web and it's great that Firefox and Mozilla actually let you do this.
6: So, final question, what has Media Freedom and the web, which is the theme of this festival, got to do with Global Voices?
3: Well, Global Voices is about getting those voices out there that don't have access to the mainstream media and getting those stories there that people don't get to hear about otherwise. So being at an event where you can see the technology for doing this is just so great. And it's great that Mozilla itself is an open organisation that makes all this technology open and accessible.
6: Thank you very much for your time. It has been a pleasure interviewing you. Well, thank you. My name is Marta Cooper and I'm an author and also I'm a member of the board at Global Voices. We are at the Mozilla Festival in London and I'm here because I am incredibly interested in the open web and more participatory models of news gathering and reporting, particularly how digital media is changing journalism and how citizens can
4: play more of a role in news gathering. And so I understand there's been activities that you've been involved in as well. You must be pretty tired but have learned quite a lot today. What have you been up to? I've mostly been attending
6: sessions um, revolving around social media and how it's used in real-time reporting, which have been incredibly informative in terms of the challenges faced and how Even though social media is used far more as a tool, especially in breaking news, when you strip it down to the bone, the journalistic skill set of fact-checking and source-checking becomes so much more enhanced. So I found that a really interesting counterpoint to the argument that the Internet is making us more lazy as journalists.
4: Are these skills and discussions that you've had at the Mozilla Festival, things that you are able to fold in and share with the Global Voices
6: community? I think so, just in terms of how we depend so much on tools such as Twitter to gather news and how we need to be more aware of our sources. I will always say I'm an advocate of of citizen media and a more democratic model of news gathering but we need to be more careful about making sure our sources are reputable and also democratizing the news gathering process. What's it like to actually see other global voices in a location? It's kind of overwhelming because you have these interactions with people online and then you only ever see them sort of once every 18 months in the real world and it's such, in such a short space of time as well. and it's. It's quite intense because you're obviously very familiar with each other's work but then to actually see each other in the real world is a very very different dynamic but it's always very inspiring as well just to see the person who is behind particular ideas or who you, who you know has authored and particularly inspiring stories or has provided self-breaking coverage of certain events. It's always very heartwarming <laughs> from that point of view. My name is Paula Goiz.
7: I work as a multilingual editor. What's it like to be the multilingual editor? I don't speak all the languages, so I basically help people who speak the language to make news available in their languages and then translate it into English. And I also help with all sorts of queries and questions about how to get things done, a bit of planning, a bit of partnerships, a bit of of everything, really.
4: Rather oddly, you've been walking around with a laptop facing the wrong way. What are you up to? Everyone thinks that
7: I'm crazy and it's fantastic because people stop and talk to me what you're doing. And I'm just showing around what's going on here through Skype to Janet Gunter, who is another volunteer for Global Voices. And she used to live in London, she moved out to Mozambique. But then I'm showing her around and I let her talk to people, or rather, people talk to her because she cannot say anything, we cannot hear hear what she's saying. A bit of solidarity between friends and countries and Global Voices volunteers. And is it a bit strange to be carrying Janet around with you? Yes, yes. Someone said that I have Janet on my lap.
4: (laughs) And do you think that kind of innovation, bringing people who are far away, is part of what Global Voices does? I guess that nowadays there is a way
7: to do that, like live streaming. For some reason, they don't have it here. So I think we have to be creative and find solutions for every problem. That's one of them.
4: Well, that's all we can squeeze into this edition of the Global Voices podcast. Thanks to all of our contributors and interviewees. We'll be back next month, but you can always drop by on the website at globalvoicesonline.org or use any of our social places to get in touch. The Global Voices podcast. The world is talking. I hope you've been listening. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Global Voices. You can follow
2: Global Voices stories on Facebook too.